We are already in chapter 2. that one <laughs> and then this one how about that one that was from last week you'll remember that slide um, John's letter encourages us to guard the gospel in our hearts and the reason we want to do that is so that we can remain in fellowship with God and with each other and so the idea is that if you begin to let go of the gospel in some way in your heart uh, it's going to impact your fellowship. Now, this is something that John introduced in the prologue, and that was the first four verses, and we studied that the very first week. And the prologue is so important because it basically tells us everything that's getting ready to happen. But in the prologue, instead of it just saying that God wants us to remain in fellowship with Him, to remain in, He says, what was from the beginning? He wants us to adhere to what was from the beginning. That's the very first sentence of chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning concerning the word of life? So it tells us to remain in. And uh, if you'll look at chapter 2, verse 24, you'll see uh, that this phrase to remain in is repeated. He says, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. And that's the gospel. I've got it up there on the slide. Who Jesus is, what it is He did, and what it is He's offering us. So what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now, uh, in today's English, if we read something like that, it it sounds like, okay, well, if I don't remain uh, faithful to what I learned and heard from the beginning, then I won't be remaining in the Son and in the Father. And so, uh, again, we are talking about fellowship, not our position in Christ. And so this is, has to do with our relationship with Him and how it can be affected by our behavior, uh, what's going on in our heart. And so it's talking about fellowship, not salvation. Now, uh, after this opening prologue in 1 John, he begins to unwrap a, some, a series of components that, comprom that comprise what fellowship is. Uh, when we talk about being in fellowship with each other, being in fellowship with God, what are we talking about? And so there's four different components that he moves through this letter introducing and the first one we looked at last week. It began in verse 5 and it went all the way to verse 2 of chapter 2. And it is confession of sin. Christians confessing sin. Uh, God doesn't want us to sin. But if we do, we have someone in our corner. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he's called our advocate. He's talking about Jesus as our advocate. And so we have an advocate who is before the Father before the throne at all times. Uh, Jesus kind of acts like, um, and, and just, to, just to remind ourselves, I just got through saying that the prologue kind of opens the letter 
And then John will begin to introduce different components of fellowship. And the first one is confession of sin. And so the basic idea is that as Christians, our goal is to not sin. But we, are, we fail at that all the time. And so the, the solution is to confess it before God, to agree with Him about it, and to bring it to Him and to ask for forgiveness. And He actually forgives us and He restores us to fellowship. So John says, I'm writing to you, my little children, you know, don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus acts kind of like a defense attorney, but uh, with a few differences. The first difference is that uh, Jesus is not standing before the throne defending our innocence. He's not doing that. And He's not standing before the throne trying to contort things or come up with some kind of a lie to conceal our guilt. And we know that that's something that some attorneys do, uh, defense attorneys. I don't know how they can sleep, to be honest. Uh, you know how a, how a defense attorney sleeps? He, he lies on one side and then he lies on the other. <laughs> oh boy, I got a whole bunch of a cop. But uh, um, the difference here, you guys, is that uh, when God is standing before the throne, He is uh, not telling the Father how, how great we are and how innocent we are. And He's not trying to create some kind of a smokescreen where the Father can't really see how guilty we are. Actually, Jesus comes to our aid when we acknowledge our guilt. That's when He comes to our assistance. Another key thing that He does that's very different from an, a typical defense attorney is that Jesus is not trying to, to work the system to our advantage. You know, uh, in, in the court world, my goodness, the laws, you know, some kind of a minute law or a detail or some kind of mistake that someone made, some kind of human error, or the background of a witness, or the politics that are involved, the relationships between the attorneys and their judges, and there's all kinds of things. And all get their sticky little fingers into this stuff. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not up there trying to work the system to come up with the best possible outcome for his client. What Jesus actually does is he takes the place of the client. He takes our place. Not very many defense attorneys do that. This is described in verse 2 as He is our propitiation for our sins. That word means satisfies. So He is the satisfaction of our sins, but not just ours, but those of the, whole, the sins of the whole world. And so here's the idea that we are completely guilty and there's nothing that we've done to help ourselves. There's nothing we have done to obtain our freedom. It's something that He did. Uh, uh, and in the process, nothing has been shortchanged. If, if you've ever been the victim of a crime, then you know that our justice system it fails to fully restore things. Um, if someone has something happened to them, you can't undo it. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't put toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. You can't fix it. You can put the guy to death, but that's still not going to completely fix the damage. And so the idea here is that when 
the blood, the precious blood of Jesus is applied to our sins. We're happy. God's happy. It satisfies. It is sufficient. It fulfills all of the righteous demands of God. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't remaining consequences of our sin. You know, if you've, if you've lived a certain kind of a life and then you repent and you look back over your life like I have to do and you see all kinds of stuff that you've done wrong. I look back over my life since I've become a Christian and I think of all the stuff I've done wrong and all of the damage. I've just done incredible damage to other people, not just to myself. And those things have consequences. And as Christians, if we can repair them, if we can make amends, we should. We should apologize and pay people back and do all the things that we should do if we, are, if we can possibly do it. We should try to make amends with our, with our people that we live with and the things that we've done to other people. But the truth is, is that some things you just can't fix. Sometimes you've done some stuff that you just can't fix. But God wants us to know that even though that's true, we are forgiven. And so this brings us to a place of humility. It keeps us from being proud. It reminds us of who God is and who we are and what it is that He actually did for us. And so we move forward every day in humility. And we try not to sin anymore. We try not to be bad. We try not to do more stuff. Try not to cause more damage and more injury. To try to walk better. And so this is the, this is the opening component. Confessing sin. It is critical. It is the most important piece probably in fellowship with God. Because you have to be in agreement with Him about your sin. If you hope to be in fellowship with Him. The second component is... Uh, one of those words that we don't like very well, but the second component is obedience. Um, this is the second component that's going to be introduced, and it's going to begin in verse 3, and it's going to go through verse 11. That's our text this morning, verses 3 through 11. And it covers the subject of obedience. It's another key component. As a matter of fact, there are four components that I told you that are going to be introduced. One is confessing sin. One is obedience. Another one is, is godliness. And you could say godliness versus worldliness. And then the final one has to do with doctrine. Pure, true doctrine. And so, uh, John is going to revisit these different components out of order throughout the letter. He's going to introduce them, but then he's going to return to them. He's going to revisit them in different ways. And so it drives everybody crazy because creating an outline for this letter is nearly impossible. For example, we're talking about obedience here. Well, it's already been introduced in the prologue, and it's already been introduced when he was talking about confession of sin. When he says in the prologue that keep hanging on to the things that you heard from the beginning, what you heard, what we heard, we saw, what we observed, what we touched with our hands concerning the word of life that was, has been revealed to us, the eternal life that was with the Father has been revealed to us, that we've seen, we declared it to you, hang on to that. Hang on to that. Why? So that you can remain in fellowship with us because we're in fellowship with God. Let's all be in fellowship with God. And if that happens, then our joy will be complete. So implied in that 
is obedience. Remaining truth, remaining faithful to the truth implies obedience. When he was talking about confession of sin, he's talking about walking in the darkness and walking in the light. Well, another way of saying being obedient is walking in the light. It's saying the same thing. And so he has introduced this concept already before we even come to it in verse 3. And so, you know, an, an outline usually follows a, a typical format where there's like point number one, and then there's A, B, and C, and then point number two. And so this one is all out of order because you'd have to take passages from all over the letter and shove them all under point number one and point number two. And so it makes it very difficult for Bible scholars to try to create an outline. But what we can see very clearly is that he is telling us about some very important things that should be in our life if we hope to stay and remain in fellowship with God. So, uh, uh, and by the way, what even makes this worse is after we've moved through all four of these, and as we move through all four, we're going to revisit some of them. When we get to chapter 4, verse 7, the book just goes crazy. It starts to merge them all together all at once, and he's talking about everything all at once. And it's just this action-packed closing of this letter. It's really exciting. This letter is very, very basic, but it is also highly complex. And so uh, what we want to do is avoid slowing down too much on those complexities so that we can really give our attention to these major components that John is emphasizing. In our study on Wednesday nights uh, with uh, Howard Hendricks and uh, how to, uh, to live by the book, to how to study the Bible on our own, he was talking about how he'd been asked to preach in a, in a church somewhere. And uh, he said, okay, well, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, well, you can talk about anything, just not from Ephesians. And he said, because we've been studying that book for years, we're only halfway through it and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, all right. So he gets there and he's spending time at lunch and with the different people in the church. And they're, they've been studying Ephesians and he starts to ask them questions about it. And they have a, a lot of facts, a lot of details. Because if you know the book of Letter of Ephesians, it's, it's a high doctrine. It's a very complex book. And so they're talking about Ephesians, you know. And, and uh, he asked them, he said, well, what's the main purpose of the letter? Why did Paul write this letter to the Ephesians anyway? And none of them could tell him the answer. It's like this painting. This is at the Met in New York City. It's my son. And uh, if you go to New York, this is, uh, you've got to go to this museum. It'll change your life. But if you get too close to that painting, you can't see the whole. You have to step back away from it to see the big pieces and how they are all part of the whole. And so, as we move through 1 John, this is what we want to do. We want to concentrate on these key components and, and apply them to our lives if we possibly can. Now, as I said, our passage this morning uh, begins in verse 3, and it is the new component that we're going to be addressing called obedience. So let's read it together, beginning in verse 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him. That should spark your interest. This is how we can be sure that we have come to know Him, by keeping His commands. The one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands is a liar. and The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. 
Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is uh, in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, what we want to do here is we, uh, in this passage, we want to break this into three different pieces. And so we're going to look at verses 3 through 6, and then verses 7 through 8, and then verses 9 through 11. So as we look at verse number 3, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 first. This is telling us to keep His commands. There in verse 3. Keep His commands. That means obedience. Keep His commands. It's the same thing as walking in the light. Look at verse 7 in chapter 1. Sorry. Chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another... And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so it is this concept of keeping His commands. Obedience yields fellowship, and fellowship yields obedience. Right? And uh, what do we do if we fail to keep His commands? What are we going to do? 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. We've got to have it in our brains. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep my commands, but if we fail, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And He is the propitiation for our sins, but not just ours, but for those of the whole world. Little children, keep His commands. Obedience, you see, brings us into a closer relationship with God. That's the result. That's the, the key, in, uh, key point here. Um, if you have your bulletin, what I'd ask you to do is kind of keep your, your hand in 1 John and then turn back to John chapter 14. And then you can like stick your, your bulletin there. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read a, a, a verse or two out of John chapter 14. And then we're going to, in a few minutes, we'll read a verse out of chapter 13. So, but first, let's keep our hands in 1 John and turn to John chapter 14. There it is on the screen. I've got the verses up there for you. John chapter 14. <laughs> you guys, we've got to be good. We've got to be quicker. We've got to be able to, we've got a tournament, a Bible drill tournament coming up. You guys, you, you got to be able to find, I know First John and John, but they're different. John chapter 14. And I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So uh, I'm teasing. So in verse uh, 21 is where we want to look at here. Uh, Jesus is teaching us something about our relationship with Him. He says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. So then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, because he's already left. This is in the upper room. He's already left. Um, Judas says to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And he answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So if you got that bulletin, keep it right there. And let's go back to 1 John. Matter of fact, I'm going to give me something to put right there. The idea is that obedience enriches our fellowship with God. Um, uh, if, if a dad has got two sons, okay, and uh, one son is older than the other and he marries and he graduates from college and he marries and he moves out and the job he's got has moved him away from his parents, maybe to another city. Maybe in, in Cincinnati you can live 30 miles away from each other and still be in Cincinnati. It's a, quite a distance. But the other son is still living at home with the dad. When the son and the dad live together every day, their relationship continues to grow deeper and deeper. Now the dad still loves his son who's moved away. But it's impossible for this relationship and this relationship to stay the same. He still loves him. He's still his son. That's never ever going to change. But there is an enriching process occurring between this father and this other son because he lives at the home with him. And this son can get jealous of that. I don't blame him. I, 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 my kids are moving away from me. It's awful. And we can text and we can call and we can do FaceTime and everything, but it's just not the same. Now, you know how the, the Bible doesn't actually say this, but it says, to, you know, you've got to leave and cleave or the in-laws become outlaws. So I'm not saying you've got to stay under daddy's roof all the time. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, what I am saying is that when you spend time with someone every day, you get closer to that person because you go through life together. You go through the, the peaks and the valleys and just the humdrum of the daily routines we have, but that time together. And so what God is telling us is that He wants us to stay with Him. Stay with me, walk with me, and our relationship is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And so here we have uh, Him saying, if you'll do this, we will come to Him and we will make our home with Him. So, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, um, if you look back on your life and the, the relationship you had with, with God when you first became a Christian and and, and now, hopefully you can say like I can, that my relationship with God is much different and much better. 
Now, when I first repented, I was as pure as a driven snow. I had completely confessed all sin. I had repented of them all, and I had left them all in a cloud of dust. I never wanted to sin again the rest of my life. When I got on my knees, I meant that. It didn't happen, but I meant it. I was really close to God. I was really clean with Him. You know, in the book of Revelation, return to that first love, you know. But because I keep getting my feet dirty and I have to keep washing them, but I keep walking in the light and trying to walk with Him, I have learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about Him. So what's happened is that my faith then was weak compared to my faith strong, is compared to my faith now. I have stronger faith. When I pray now, my faith is much stronger. And we're going to read about that in this letter. It's going to talk about our prayer and how it can become stronger with our faith. And so there is a, just that one thing is something that we gain by remaining in fellowship. Now, <clears throat> uh, Wednesday night, we, uh, were, a verse was read to us, uh, 2 Corinthians verse 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. And it said, If any man be in Christ... He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the description of someone who's been born again. But Paul is the author of that. Paul wrote the letter to 2 Corinthians. And so he says, if any man be in Christ. And so we want to re recognize that when we talk about remaining in Him is very different from when Paul says, in Christ. He's talking about something very different. When Paul is talking about if any man be in Christ, he's talking about if any man has been born new, has received a new heart, a new nature, if, that, if any man has been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If any man has been, for we, all, for we have all been baptized by one Spirit into the body of Christ. So uh, this is what Paul's talking about when he says, in Christ. But John is saying, in Him, look in verse, uh, you got your first John there? Um, uh, verse 5. Whoever keeps His word truly in Him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in Him. John is talking about fellowship. And he, uh, he tells us to, and like I said, we're just doing verses 3 through 6 right now, but uh, uh, in verse 6 he says, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Walk in the light. Walk just as he walked. For some of you it's been a long time ago, but you can remember when uh, it would start snowing and you would hope that school was going to be canceled the next day. And... Uh, you know, I, I hated it because they never told you that school was canceled. You had to wait till the morning. And so mom made you go to bed. You couldn't stay up. It was, it was horrible. It was the worst thing ever. And so the first people out of bed in the morning was the kids. We were tatted on there looking at the news, waiting to see if school was canceled, you know. But uh, I remember I got four kids, but my two youngest ones, when they were little bitty, uh, during the school day, it just we just had a, a snow storm, and they canceled school, and everybody was leaving work, and so buses full of kids and parents in their cars were all trying to work their way onto the highway to get home. 
It was a horrible snowstorm. It was here in Cincinnati, and, and uh, I'll never forget it. And I remember when we were at home that night, and we turned on the news, there were still all of these cars in the dark on the highway, just trains and trains and miles and miles and headlights of people still trying to get home in that storm. But what they did is they canceled school that night. And so it made all the difference in the world. Because my, uh, my two little ones knew that they could stay up late. So we had popcorn and watched TV and had fun. And then the next day was we were committed to playing in the snow. And so uh, Zachary's older than Chloe. And so I tried to get Zachary to put on the snowsuit for a snow skiing suit that belonged to his sisters, and he refused. He wouldn't wear his girls. <laughs> he wouldn't wear it. And so I was like, all right, I can't, you know, demasculate this guy. Really, this is a big deal to him. So well, you don't have to wear it, Zachary. But, you know, so I'm over there dealing with Chloe, and I'm getting her all bandaged up and bundled up and ready to go out. And we go out playing the snow. And I'm not going to bore you to tears of the story, but we were out there quite a while, shoveling and exploring. Well, we ended up going into some woods, and uh, we each had a stick like it was a gun, and, and uh, everything was white. Everything was crystal white. We saw this red robin out there, cardinal uh, out there. It's real pretty. And, uh, but I wanted my son to take the lead, and he wouldn't do it. And I kept, you know, come on, Zachary. We're, you know, I kept trying to create all these kind of crazy, you know, imaginary things where he would excite him, and he'd take the lead. And they were a little boy, and... He just wouldn't do it. It was really, I couldn't figure it out and kind of bum me out, you know, so uh, he stayed behind me. And so that night when I was tucking him in bed, he said, hey, Dad, and he said, uh, I wanted to take the lead, but I didn't put on any socks. And so his legs were we were, he was, <laughs> that kid's, that snow was past his knees. He didn't have his socks on. So I had spent all that time making sure Chloe was all bundled up, but not my son. And so he said, I wanted to take the lead, but my legs were just too cold, so I was walking in your footsteps. So that's what he's talking about here in verse 6, that we are to walk just as he walked. Now we're going to look at verses 7 through 8 now. And this is probably the most complex part of the whole text we're looking at this morning. Because it's a little bit confusing at first. Because it's talking about old commands and new commands. And the new command isn't an old one, it's really a new one. And I am going to give you a new one. It's, it's kind of confusing. It seems like it goes around in circles. A new command. Jesus, or John has told us to keep his commands, and now in verse 7, he's going to begin to get real specific about which command it is he wants us to actually keep. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now, when he says, I'm not writing a new command, but an old command. Well, if he's talking about the old, old command, then we're going all the way back until the Old Testament. We're going back to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he says to love God with all of your heart, with all that you are, love God. Okay? And then if we go to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, 
in the Old Testament, way back there when Moses was writing these books, the Pentateuch, in Leviticus 19.18, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the big umbrellas that everything falls underneath. So when Jesus is walking around, they say, hey, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, you know what it is. It's Deuteronomy 6.5. It's love God with everything you are. And there's a second commandment that's almost like it. It says, love your neighbors yourself. So is John going all the way back to that? Well, of course, that's foundational to all things in scriptures, the Old Testament. So it's, it's never not foundational to what we're talking about here. But John isn't referring to that. He's talking about what they heard from the beginning. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. So the old message is what they heard from the beginning. What is that? Well, I told you to hang your foot, hang in John. So now put your, keep your hand in 1 John and let's go back to John chapter, thir- John chapter 13. I told you. You didn't do it, but I told you. I warned you. You'll remember this chapter. We studied this last Sunday well, as we were reading uh, first, the first chapter of 1 John. We, we bounced back to chapter 13. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, we find out that there is a new command. A new command that Jesus is giving. And so, if they are telling them, if, the, if these Christians that John is writing to, if these Christians that the disciples have been talking about Jesus, let me tell you about this Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Let me tell you about Him. We, we've touched Him. We've heard Him. We've observed Him. All of the things He did. He's God. He, he, he's eternal. He lived with the Father and He's been revealed to us. I'm declaring to you. I'm telling you what happened. I'm testifying. That's what they heard from the beginning. Part of that was talking about what Jesus did on the cross. Who He was as a person. The things He taught. The things He said. The things that He did. John chapter 13 verse 34. I give you a new command. This is Jesus. Love one another. Well, that doesn't sound too new. Leviticus 19 says that. Well, look what he says. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. So there's something new about that. Because the way Jesus loves us is sacrificial. You're actually sacrificing yourself for other people. It's a completely different, it's a completely different addition. It's a nuance that's uh, makes the first command, the second, the, the loving your neighbors yourself even more rich. Jesus is telling us to love each other, love Christians, love other brothers and sisters in Christ, just as I have loved you. It's a very challenging thing that he is saying, isn't it? I'm going to refer to it later at the very end. But look at chapter 13, verse 1. We already know that He washed their feet. Jesus loved them the very last of verse 1. He loved them to the end. The greater love is a man who does what? Loved them to the end, didn't He? Alright, so let's go back to 1 John. I promise I won't do that to you again. So it's not a new command, it's the old command in the sense that it's 
the one that Jesus taught us. But then in verse 8, he says, but I am giving you a new command, which is true in Jesus, but it's also true in you. So it's true in all of us. There's something new. What's he talking about? He says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is probably the most exciting thing that we could talk about this morning. I don't know if that's possible. We've talked about a lot of exciting things. but John is talking about something that is getting ready to happen in the future. At the end of this chapter, he's going to talk about when Jesus returns. And it says that we're going to be, when we see Him, we're going to be changed. Because we're going to see Him as He is. We're going to change. And everyone who has that hope, fixed upon Him, purifies Himself just as He is pure. In the, in the closing of chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus is going to come back. And everything's going to change. John is pointing to that. He is talking about, and, and he's going to revisit this later as I said, but... Here he's, he's talking about the darkness passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, the incarnation, when Jesus came in the flesh, He started something that doesn't end. He started something that's going to come to fruition. It's going to come to its, to its, uh, its rightful place where we're in heaven with Him and He's in glory and we're in glory and sin is gone. And, uh, but before that, there's so much that's going to happen. There's going to be the millennial reign of, there's going to be the return of Christ, the second coming. There's going to be, there's going to be the rapture. Then there's going to be the second coming, the tribulation, the second coming. There's going to be the millennial reign of Christ. There's going to be the judgments. There's going to be the new heaven and the new earth. There's so much that's going to happen. But it begins with the incarnation. The incarnation is like, it's nighttime. And you can start to see the dawn. I used to work night shift. And I could see that all the time. And when I would see that light, I would know that the night was doomed. It was only a matter of time. Something is happening that is going to happen, whether anyone likes it or not. You can ignore it. You can stick your head in the sand. But the dawn is coming. The way things are going on right now are not going to keep continuing forever. Things are going to change. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John is wanting us to think about, yeah, just think about what we learned in the Pentateuch. And then Jesus taught us that we're supposed to love one another sacrificially just as He did. So I'm just reminding you guys that what's going on right now is not the future. Our future is incredible. Our future is wonderful. It's the brightest thing we can ever imagine. We are in really good shape. And so, just to point it out, light here that he's talking about is different than when he was talking about light in verse 5 of chapter 1 when he said that God is light. We saw about God is light. He's talking about a character attribute of God. But here... He is talking about the incarnation. He is talking about uh, what it means, the incarnation, what the incarnation means for the future. That night will soon become day. Things are not going to continue as they are. And so, just 
it's important for us to, and I hope that, that doesn't bore you to tears, but it's important for us to, because we read the Bible all the time, is to make that distinguish between in Christ and in Him, what He's talking about. And when light, God is light in verse 5 of chapter 1, now we're talking about light again, but in a different way. So we have to look at it all in context and be careful with the Scriptures, don't we? And this brings us to our final part, which is verses 9 through 11. And if we wanted to caption this, we would call it remaining in the light versus hating your brother. <laughs> it just sounds so ridiculous, you know, hating, don't hate your brother. It's like, okay, oh, I got that. But uh, in verse 9, he says, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother, it's talking about Christians. So it's possible for a Christian to hate his brother. And, and hate has a wide spectrum. You know, murder is the ultimate expression of hate, but it doesn't have to be murder for this stuff to be going on in our hearts. I told you before, the church I came to from this one, that was big, a big church, gigantic stage. I won't even tell you how much money they remodeled the stage right before I left. I won't tell you how much money. But a beautiful stage, it's a fantastic church, and a fantastic stage. They had an orchestra, the singers, uh, it was, you name it. It was a really nice church. Nothing wrong with it at all. But uh, one of the ladies always sang on the stage. There was this couple that couldn't stand her. And so they always sat on that side of the auditorium because they want to sit in front of her while she sang. And they actually told me that. And I thought, that's not good. That is not good. Imagine a church family where believers do not love each other. That's not here. One of the neatest things about our church. We love each other. Imagine looking inside of a home where family members don't say, I love you. Walking with God makes our relationship with Him stronger. And Jesus tells us to love each other sacrificially. He's modeled that for us. As I said in John chapter 13, He, he washed the disciples' feet and then He loved them to the end. Let's pray.